Can you remember what you told the police when you called them? My daughter's dead. Someone had murdered her. Hardest phone call I ever made in my life. My first thought was, how will I ever survive without talking to Kelly every day? Someone took from us the most wonderful thing in the world. I saw blood slung up on the ceiling and all the way across the room. It's pretty aggressive. Not only had he beaten her severely, but he had also raped her. It's as horrific a death as one could ever imagine. A young girl had been attacked in her home and killed. That's an unnerving event in any community. What did you think the motive was for the murder? In my opinion, he was very disturbed. He was going to kill someone, and she was the one. Hi, I'm Paula Zahn, and tonight we're on the case in Panama City Beach, Florida, a popular vacation destination known for its white sandy beaches. But the peaceful seaside community was plunged into terror after 31-year-old Kelly Bailey was found savagely murdered in her own home. The crime left her family heartbroken and forced investigators to piece together a disturbing trail of clues in pursuit of her killer. November 2nd, 2001. It was just before 9 p.m. when the Panama City Beach Police Department got a frantic call about the unexplained death of 31-year-old Kelly Bailey. Can you describe what the caller had to say? It was from the victim's stepfather, John Greathouse, and he had gone to his daughter's house and found that she was dead. A devastated John Greathouse told the dispatcher that he had stopped by to check on Kelly after a co-worker suggested that she may have overslept for her shift as a medical technologist at a local hospital. John saw Kelly's car out front, so he used his key to quietly let himself in. What he walked into was a nightmare no parent should ever have to see. I walked through the kitchen, and I saw her foot sticking out of the bedroom door. And I went straight to it. I just grabbed her leg down there at the back, and it was ice cold. John knew immediately that Kelly was dead. Did it seem possible to you that she had taken a fall and hit her head? couldn't tell. I just, I knew she was dead. In fact, John was so shocked by what he had seen, his daughter, almost naked, lying lifeless on the floor, that he didn't even notice the blood or the other signs of a violent attack. I covered her up, got the telephone, went out in the middle of the road and called the police. 
When Detective Tilly arrived, he found Kelly Bailey lying face down in the doorway of her bedroom wearing only a T-shirt. At first glance, he thought her death could have been accidental. The footboard of her bed was a round, solid wood, and her head was right next to it. And I just wanted to be sure she didn't hit her head on this post. But one quick look around the room, and the detective realized that the young woman had not suffered a tragic fall. I saw blood swung up on the ceiling and all the way across the room. And it was that point that I said, hey, this is a, a homicide, and uh, we need to move up to the next gear. Investigators then turned over Kelly's body, and instantly, a clear picture of the gruesome attack came into focus. How extensive were the injuries to her face? Some of her teeth were missing. Her nose turned out to be broken. She had abrasions, and she had significant bruising uh, from blunt force injury. The brutality of it was evident. Detectives discovered a man's T-shirt soaked in blood on top of Kelly's bed. They also found streaks of blood in the bathroom sink, suggesting the killer had tried to clean up before fleeing the scene. Bloodstains on a rug in the living room indicated where the violence may have begun, but it was clear that Kelly's life had ended in the doorway of her bedroom. Could you get any sense of how the attack unfolded? The only thing I would say I was definite of was that she had been beaten severely. There were no signs of forced entry, and it didn't appear that robbery had been the motive for the crime. What did you think the motive was for the murder? You know, you go with statistics, and statistics tells you that somebody that the victim knows, and that's where I started. Did you suspect there had been a sexual attack? You can't tell at the scene, but she had a T-shirt on, and that was it. Police then broke the shocking news about how his daughter died to John Greathouse. What did the police tell you that night? They told me someone had murdered her. Kelly's grief-stricken stepfather was already suffering through the worst night of his life. When police began asking him some pointed questions. Did you ever feel like they were looking at you as yeah. a potential suspect? I did. One of the detectives took me to his car and questioned me where I had been, what I had done, and went through all of the rituals. Investigators quickly determined that John had nothing to do with Kelly's murder. But as painful as it was to face the suspicion of police, John was agonizing over something else. How would he find the words to tell his wife that her only daughter had been murdered. Mm -hmm. 
Detectives in Panama City Beach, Florida, were investigating the gruesome murder of Kelly Bailey. The 31-year-old had been found brutally beaten to death inside her own home. As police tried to make sense of the few clues they had discovered, her stepfather, John Greathouse, was getting ready to break the devastating news to Kelly's mother. John Greathouse was still reeling from the shock of finding his daughter, Kelly Bailey, dead in her own home. That was very fun. It was horrible. No way to describe it, to be honest with you. My mind went away from me. Still, John had to find a way to let his wife Charlotte know that the beautiful young woman they had raised together had been murdered. I had to call Charlotte then and tell her. You must have been in a state of shock when you made that call. Hardest phone call I ever made in my life. It was past midnight when John tracked down Charlotte, who was out of town visiting family. It was just the shock, the shock of a lifetime. I said, was she in an automobile accident? And he said, no. And I said, well, what could have happened? And he said, well, they think someone took her life. And I said, who on earth would take Kelly's life? And, of course, she went hysterical. Someone took from us the most wonderful thing in the world. As Charlotte made the long trek home to plan her daughter's funeral, she was trying to come to terms with her deep sense of loss. Kelly was her only child, and they had shared a very special bond. How would you describe Kelly's relationship with you? We had always been really close, and we talked every day. And right after she died, my first thought was, how will I ever survive without talking to Kelly every day? When John and Charlotte got married, Kelly was just a toddler and the three-year-old already had him wrapped around her finger. She was my stepdaughter, but she was my daughter, really. I loved her, and we were always real close. John and Charlotte watched Kelly blossom into an intelligent and ambitious young woman who earned degrees in both biology and medical technology. What was Kelly's personality like? Kelly was a very giving person. She had a very soft heart. She had such a trusting, sweet personality. Kelly had just recently moved back to Florida from Tennessee. She had accepted a new job so she could be closer to her family. We just miss being together. We worried about her safety there. Never dreaming that where she was coming to would be the place that was unsafe for. Kelly had just bought herself a new home, just a few miles away from her parents, fulfilling a lifelong dream. I think it was a major accomplishment for her to have her own home. You must have been very proud of her. 
we were very proud of her. But tragically, all of the things Kelly had worked so hard to achieve were shattered in a flash of terrifying violence. Just hours after she was found murdered, Kelly's body was taken to the Bay County Medical Examiner's Office for an autopsy. The details of her murder shocked even the most hardened members of law enforcement. What did the autopsy reveal was the cause of death? Her neck had been broken. And this caused her to be paralyzed from the shoulders down. So she ended up suffocating because her lungs weren't able to breathe. This was such a, a, a brutal death. How much force did the killer use? It was a lot. I mean, you're breaking bones. That's pretty aggressive. The autopsy also revealed that Kelly had been sexually assaulted. This is horrific a death as one could ever imagine. Not only had he beaten her severely, but he had also raped her. Biological evidence was collected to compare to a suspect. But first, police would have to find one. Officers canvassed Kelly's quiet neighborhood and were surprised when they couldn't find a single witness who had seen or heard anything around the time of the murder. How close together are the houses in that neighborhood? They're fairly close, probably about 10 to 15 feet between each house. Detectives were intrigued when they learned that one of Kelly's closest neighbors was an ex-boyfriend named Steve. Police quickly became troubled by his odd behavior. He was almost overly cooperative. He was trying to be so helpful and also wanting to know about things. You know, somebody that's overly concerned does kind of stand out. Kelly's ex continued to raise red flags when he openly admitted that he still had a key to her house. And when police took a hard look at his background, they suddenly had their first suspect. Police trying to solve the murder of Kelly Bailey believed that the vicious attack had been committed by someone the 31-year-old knew. There was no forced entry into her home, suggesting that Kelly had either opened the door to her killer or that he had let himself in. And that theory gained traction when detectives began taking a hard look at the men in her life, including an ex-boyfriend who just happened to have a key to her house. Kelly Bailey's murder was one of the most vicious crimes Panama City Beach police had ever seen. The young woman had suffered a savage beating. Her neck had been broken, and she had been sexually assaulted. Detectives started their investigation with those closest to Kelly, and her neighbor Steve had quickly moved to the top of their list. 
he was right there next door to her former boyfriend and the fact that he was trying to be so helpful. Those things do make him stand out. And as police dug deeper, their suspicions only grew. Kelly's ex had a criminal history. How did it infect your investigation when you found out her ex-boyfriend, who also happened to be her neighbor, had an arrest for assault in his past? It does give you another reason to look at him. Detectives knew that Kelly had recently begun dating again, and they wondered whether the rage-fueled attack could have been triggered by jealousy. Investigators asked Steve to submit to a voice stress analysis. Tell me what you were looking for. And the way that thing works is it measures the stress levels in their voices. There was a set of 11 questions. There's only two of what we call hot questions. The most important question police wanted answered was, were you involved in the murder of Kelly Bailey? results of the tests were surprising. He didn't show any stress, which leads you to believe that he wasn't involved. But investigators needed to be certain. They obtained a sample of Steve's DNA for comparison with the biological evidence they had recovered. It was not a match. When police told Kelly's parents that her ex had been officially cleared, they were relieved. I knew him too well. He'd been over and I'd been to his house. I trusted him. He was a very nice guy. I never believed that he would have been involved. But there were other men in Kelly's life that her parents had been worried about. The strangers the 31-year-old had been meeting through internet dating sites. Did you think someone that she had met online might well, have been responsible? I was very concerned about online dating. People are much more comfortable with it now than they were then. Did she ever mention a problem with anybody that she had met online? No, she had never had a problem. She was cautious not to invite anyone to her home or not to go to anyone else's home. So she did all the things she thought would keep you safe. Police tried to track down anyone Kelly had actually gone out with through a dating site. When a call came in, that would change the course of the investigation. Evidence that appeared to be connected to the crime. We received a call that a jacket had been found in the wood lot close to Kelly's house. A windbreaker that contained Kelly Belly's credit card in the pocket. The jacket, which belonged to Kelly, was spotted with blood investigators fanned out across the lot to search the area. Did any other evidence surface? We found fish bat. What is a fish bat? It's like a small wooden bat. 
in the fishing industry. They use it to uh, hit the fish over the head. Kelly Bailey's blood was discovered when the foot-long piece of wood was tested. Did you have any idea what you were looking at when you found this piece of wood? I had never heard of a fish bat up until that time. I just knew it was a weapon. Since the fish bat and the jacket were found just steps from Kelly's home, police theorized that both had been discarded by her killer as he fled the crime scene. Detectives carefully examined the bat and noticed that it appeared to be new. They wondered if the killer had bought it at a nearby store. I knew that if we could find where it had been purchased, that would give us a pool of suspects to look at. It was a long shot, but it was also the first lead investigators had that might put them on the trail of Kelly's killer. It was a, a rabbit hole we had to go down. The investigation into the murder of 31-year-old Kelly Bailey had just gotten its first big break. Police had recovered some critical evidence in the woods near her home. First, the young woman's bloodstained windbreaker was found with one of her credit cards in the pocket. Then, detectives discovered a small wooden fish bat lying in the grass nearby. A careful examination of the weapon convinced police that it had actually been used during the vicious attack. Now, investigators hoped that the new clues would lead them to Kelly's killer. DNA testing done on the fish bat confirmed that the weapon had been used in the murder of Kelly Bailey. But the results didn't provide police with any new evidence about her killer. Still, detectives thought they might have a chance of identifying him if they could find the store where the bat had been sold. Investigator Jeff Hare drew the difficult assignment. What did you think the chances were that you would ever be able to track down where this fish bat was bought? I didn't think they were good, to be honest with you. Investigator Hare visited every fishing and sporting goods store in the area. But despite a painstaking effort, Hare was unable to locate a shop that sold that particular bat. I was almost ready to, to throw in a towel, per se, on this. I, I, I'd gone to every single store there was. How many in all would you say you looked uh, at? Probably about 20. And it was almost a dead end at that point. But Hare refused to give up. Even in his free time, he continued his relentless search. I'd gone to Walmart shopping with the family. And I decided to go over to the sporting section again one more time to take a look. Investigator Hare had already searched the Walmart shelves twice while on duty. But this time, he noticed a dusty handle of a fish bat barely sticking out along the floor. 
When he pulled it out, he was stunned. Did it appear to be the same as the one that was found in it the did. field? It looked identical. What was your reaction? I couldn't believe it. Hare immediately took the fish bat to the manager. Using the Walmart computer system, they were able to determine exactly how many of the fish bats had been sold and when. We learned that there were two sold in the past year. One was sometime back in March, and the other sold on October 27th. The October 27th sale was just days before Kelly Bailey's murder. Hare asked the store manager for all the information about the sale. Within seconds, he was able to pull up the transaction on his computer. The receipt showed a time, the register, the checkout counter itself, and which cameras possibly would have video on that incident. So that had to be your next step. Right, that was the next step. Still not certain if this is going to be the lead that I'm hoping for, but at least it's something. The videotape showed two men at the register with a cart full of groceries and the fish bat. So you could actually make out the fish bat on the video? Yes. It was clear? It was crystal clear. And when Hare was told the fish bat had been paid for with a personal check, he was certain he had a hot lead to work off of. Now it's looking really good <laughs> as far as making contact with who purchased this. What's the next thing you did? Well, they had a routing number for me, and we could find out which bank and then track the check down itself. When Hare contacted the bank, he was disappointed. It turned out that the check used to make the purchase had been reported stolen weeks earlier. Then Hare discovered there might be another way to identify the man who bought the bat. Walmart's policy was that you had to have a driver's license, so there was a driver's license number along with the receipt. Unfortunately, the driver's license Walmart gave the detective would also be of little use. I had made contact with the individual with the driver's license, and they had advised me that the wallet had been stolen with the driver's license in the wallet. Hare confirmed the man's story. In fact, a police report had been filed in Alabama about the stolen wallet just days before Kelly's murder. So we had a stolen driver's license, along with a stolen check, making a purchase of a fish bat. But just when it seemed Hare had hit another dead end, the officer in Alabama dropped a bombshell. I was advised by the authorities there was a suspect in a theft of that driver's license. Paul Everett. 22-year-old Paul Everett had a criminal history that included theft and forgery. 
In fact, it turned out that the stolen check had belonged to Everett's late grandfather. And when Hare compared Everett's booking photos to the images of the man at the Walmart cash register, he became convinced he was on the right track. He was the individual in the video purchasing the fish bag. Suddenly, the pieces of a very complicated puzzle were falling into place. But investigators knew they still had a lot of work to do if they hoped to arrest Paul Everett for the murder of Kelly Bailey. Police in Panama City Beach, Florida, had zeroed in on a person of interest in the murder of Kelly Bailey. His name was Paul Everett. Investigators had found videotape at a local Walmart of Everett buying the identical fish bat used in the attack. And they also discovered that the 22-year-old had been on the run from law enforcement on the night of the crime. Now detectives hope to track down Everett to question him about their suspicions. After investigator Hare connected Paul Everett to the fish bag bought at Walmart, he contacted the family of his 22-year-old suspect in Alabama, hoping for a lead on his whereabouts. Hare was surprised by their cooperation. What did his family tell you about him? I learned that he had been in Panama City during the time of the homicide, and possibly was still in Panama City. Everett's family even gave the investigator the name of the motel where he'd been staying. How far was the hotel where Everett was staying from Kelly's house? It was one-tenth of a mile. And the circumstantial case against Everett continued to mount when police went to the motel to find him. The manager said that Paul Everett had been taken into custody by a bail bondsman on the night of November 2nd. Which was the night of the murder. That's correct. What did the bail bondsman tell you about how Everett was dressed when he came to pick him up? They stated that he had no shirt, no shoes. Police knew that Kelly's killer had left his blood-soaked T-shirt on her bed. Is it your belief that Everett had just gotten back to the motel room when the bail bondsman was there to pick him up? Based on the times that we had, I would say he had just been back within a few hours. Each new detail police discovered added to their case against Paul Everett. What happened when you pieced together the evidence abandoned as the killer left the crime scene? Well, when we went back and diagrammed it, you had basically a trail back to the hotel. What did you think that meant? To me, it meant that he was probably the killer. Investigators knew the next step was to question Everett face-to-face -face in the Alabama jail where he was being held. Detective Tilly decided to begin the interview without revealing that Kelly had died during the attack. 
We were going to hit it as if it was just a burglary that had gone bad and she had been roughed up. Did he admit knowing her? No. He had no idea, didn't know anything. When Detective Tilly turned up the pressure, Everett shut down, asking the investigator for a lawyer. But before the detectives left the room, they let Everett know exactly how much trouble he was in. My partner told him that uh, she was dead and that he was facing the death penalty. At that time, Everett looked at me and said, she's dead. I gave him my business card, and I said, if you want to talk any more about this, just give us a call. It wasn't long before Everett asked for another chance to tell the truth. This time, Everett admitted he had been at Kelly's home on the night of the murder, but claimed it was another man who killed her. He brought up that he was with a fellow named Bubba and that uh, Kelly Bailey was Bubba's girlfriend. Everett said Bubba was jealous that he and Kelly had been romantically involved that night. He said they had consensual sex and that Bubba caught him sitting there half naked. Bubba pulled out a pistol and pointed it at Paul and said, you need to leave. And Paul said the last thing he saw was Bubba grabbing her by the hair and pulling her down in the doorway. Investigators didn't believe anything Everett said. The story seemed to be a weak attempt to explain away the evidence police had found. So here you are in the second conversation where you think he's lying through his teeth. But it was valuable, wasn't it, to have him admit to you that he had been in the house? He put himself at the scene, having sex with her. I think he eventually thought we were going to track him down through DNA. And Everett was right. His DNA was a match to the biological evidence collected at the crime scene. Paul Everett was arrested for the first-degree murder of Kelly Bailey. When investigators presented him with a warrant, Everett said he was finally ready to come clean. What did he tell you? He said that he was strung out looking for money and that the only reason he picked Kelly's house was it was the nicest looking one on the block. He described walking to the front of the house and he knocked on the front door. There was no answer. So he tried the door, and it was open. He says, I opened the door, and I could see the purse sitting on the table. Everett said while he was rifling through Kelly's purse, he heard someone coming out of the shower. He states that uh, she saw him going through the purse, and she actually charged him. He says, I had the fish billy in my left hand. I turned around and out of instinct, he said, I just punched her twice in the face with my right hand. Everett denied using the fish bat, but claimed his punch knocked Kelly off her feet. He says she fell down to the floor 
And she jumped up and ran to the bedroom. And at that time, he said, I have a blank from then on. Investigators were still convinced that Everett's story was an attempt to minimize the horror of his crime. Bay County State Attorney Steve Meadows told the jury how he conveniently left out the gruesome details of his attack on Kelly. He was uh, taking money from her purse. He was surprised by her. And instead of running out the front door, he ran towards her. He made that conscious decision at that time that he was not there just for the money, but he was there for her as well. Everett then sexually assaulted and savagely murdered Kelly Bailey. When his trial began in late 2002, prosecutors were seeking the death penalty. I wanted the jurors to come to know Kelly Bailey, and so I put a lot of effort into letting the jurors know who she was and how he'd really taken a beautiful life and destroyed a beautiful family. Everett remained stoic as the prosecutor presented the overwhelming evidence against him. We had more evidence than you would typically see in this type of case. We had his admissions, which were significant. We also had his DNA. And we had video of him buying the fish belly. All of this collectively was overwhelming. For John and Charlotte Greathouse, the trial convinced them of what they already knew. Not only was Everett a cold-blooded killer, he was also a coward. What was it like being in the courtroom, having to face Everett? He couldn't look at us. He couldn't talk. He didn't say anything. Everett's attorneys tried to argue that their client was on drugs at the time of the crime and could not be responsible for his actions. But the jury rejected those claims. Paul Everett was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to death. Burn in hell, Paul Everett. You don't walk away with any feeling of joy because Kelly Bailey's still dead. Her mom and dad are still dealing with the tragedy that occurred. So, you know, there's relief, there's acknowledgement that you're grateful that the jury did the right thing, but you don't walk away with elation. For Kelly's family, the verdict was bittersweet. Do you think justice was served? Twelve jurors voted for justice, but it will take the execution of the defendant for us to know that this journey is done. An execution will, will not give me any relief, but it's the justice that we were promised, and it's the justice we want. Today, the Great House family remains focused on turning their grief 
into something positive. And they put their energy into an annual event called Missing Place at the Table. The special night helps families who've lost loved ones to violent crime celebrate their lives and honor their memory. What do you celebrate when you set the table for Kelly at one of these dinners? I celebrate a life of joy and goodness. Kelly had such a kind heart. And I look at her accomplishments. I just think of so much love and pride in the woman that she had become. The Great Houses say that it has been the strength of other survivors who have helped them get through their darkest hours. But still, the emptiness never goes away. What has Paul Everett taken from your family? He took a lot of the happiness away from us. That was very fun. Just yanked it away from us. And it hurt us so bad, our hearts. And we'll never get over it as long as we live. Missing Place at the Table is an annual tradition that has honored more than 125 victims. On the organization's 10th anniversary, the Great House family invited the investigators who worked on Kelly's case to attend the dinner. I'm Paula Zahn. Please join us next time when we're back on the case.